chapter 22, and if you're able to physically stand, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word out of respect and reverence for it. Ezekiel in chapter 22, and we're going to just read one verse uh, to start with this morning. We'll look at several more in this chapter as we go through the message, but we'll start with just one, uh, probably the most in this chapter, probably one of the more familiar verses in the entire book of, the, uh, of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter number 22, verse number 30, here the Lord is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel and says in verse 30, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be in this place and in a comfortable building to hear your word. I pray, Lord, though, that you would Speak to our hearts. Lord, please remove the distractions that may, we may be thinking about uh, regarding what's going to take place after church or what's, what else is going, in our li- going on in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would remove those from our thoughts right now and help us to zero in on your word and your will for our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be obedient to not just good hearers, but good doers of your word. We pray all these things in the precious name of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Have you ever been given the job to share some very difficult news with someone? Probably many of us have had that experience. Maybe you were the boss at work and had the, uh, the wonderful privilege of having to call someone in your office and give them their pink slip and tell them they're no longer employed there. Not a fun experience, I'm sure. Maybe you were the one responsible for letting extended family members know about the passing of their loved one. That's not a fun phone call to make, is it? Remember a couple days after my mother passed away, my dad and I were at the local bank, and we were dealing with closing out some of my mom's accounts and getting the names switched over and all of that and going through all of that type of business. Well, one of her friends, one of my mom's friends, walked in who did not know that my mom had passed away, and, and she saw me, and uh, her daughter and I went to school together, and, and uh, we kind of had a family relationship. They lived around the corner on the other block from us, and so we saw them every once in a while, and, um, and so she saw me there, and she said, hi, Eric, how are you? And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Well, how's your mom? Tell me how she's doing. I'm like, oh, man how do I handle this? I said, well, actually, to be honest, she's doing really well right now. <laughs> she doesn't have cancer anymore. It went away. That's right. Amen. See, she's in heaven. She passed away a couple days ago. Well, immediately, uh, she started crying on the spot and uh, left. And it was a very, I don't think she even stayed in the bank. I think she had to just leave. It was difficult to give that news out. I remember almost three months ago when I had to announce that due to COVID-19, we were not going to have in-person services for a while. That was not fun to be that guy to make that decision and give that type of news. Being the bearer of bad news isn't very fun, but sometimes life requires it. The prophets oftentimes in the Bible days, that's really their main purpose that God sent them to the nation of Israel to tell them who they were and their sin. Ezekiel uh, was no different. He actually was a priest to start with who was taken into Babylonian captivity a few years after Daniel was taken. You remember Daniel was one of those chosen, those uh, the cream of the crop that was taken by King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, Daniel was taken, but then Ezekiel was taken during the second uh, invasion there and Uh, in the second captivity. And uh, five years after Ezekiel was taken captive, he was called by God to be a prophet. Uh, Not only was he a priest there to do the work of the ministry and to help in the temple and do those things, but now he was also a prophet to warn the nation of Israel about their sin, which led to the captivity in the very first place. 
Now, Ezekiel was an amazing man of God. The Bible records he was a tremendously bold and fearless man as he delivered some very difficult news to the nation of Israel. Uh, he didn't tiptoe around the issue. He didn't beat around the bush. He let people have it. In chapter 3 and verse number 8, the Bible records this regarding how God made Israel, or God made Ezekiel, chapter 3, verse 8. Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. So God, it seems as though God had specifically made Ezekiel equipped to be the bearer of bad news. He went into those scenarios not really worrying about what people were going to say about him or think about him. He just went and let people have it. As I was studying that this week, I thought, oh Lord, please help me to be like that too. Um, I want to have, I want to care what others think to some degree, but I want to care more about what God thinks uh, and what the Word of God says than what, uh, what people may think about me saying what the Word of God says. Well, in chapter 22, where our Bibles are open to, God tells Ezekiel to once again be the bearer of bad news. Uh, read, read with me in verse, verse 1 of chapter 22. He said, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Now thou, son of man, wilt thou judge, wilt thou judge the bloody city? Yea, thou shalt show her all of her positive attributes. No, that's not what he was sent to do. I'm sure that's probably what he would have rather done. Uh, He was sent to show her all her abominations. So here God tells Ezekiel that he has been given the privilege of declaring all the abominations of the land. He was speaking to the inhabitants of the beloved city Jerusalem prior to when Babylon besieged it for the final time and took it. Now what was in this message of doom that God had given Ezekiel to deliver to the city and nation? I want to take this morning and go through this chapter and look at the sermon that Ezekiel preached to the nation of Israel and learn lessons Uh, for us as well as we face what we're facing here in our very own nation in 2020. As we look at the news, it doesn't, as I mentioned, take, uh, you know, a real, uh, real learned person to understand the fact that our country is in a mess. And we're at a very important crossroads in our country's history once again. So let's look at this sermon this morning and find out what Ezekiel had to talk about. First of of all, he talked about the sin in the land. The sin of the land. In verse number three, he said, God said to Ezekiel, okay, here's what I want you to preach. Then say thou, thus saith the Lord God, the city sheddeth blood in the midst of it, that her time may come and maketh idols against herself to defile herself. Thou art become guilty in the Thy blood that thou hast shed, and hast defiled thyself and thine idols which thou hast made, and thou hast caused thy days to draw near, and art come even unto thy years. Therefore have I made thee a reproach unto the heathen, and a mocking to all countries. Well, what a part of the sin do we, do we see here? First of all, we see that Ezekiel shares with them the catalog of sin. He goes through a litany of sins that the nation of Israel was guilty of. And as we go through this, I want you to maybe ask the question, are, are we as Americans guilty of these? And I would say in many cases, the answer is yes, unfortunately. What were some of the sins that he listed here? What were in this catalog of sins? What crimes did they as a nation commit against the Lord God of heaven? Well, uh, first of all, bloodshed in verse number three. The city sheddeth blood in the midst of it, that her time may come, and maketh idols against herself to defile herself. So bloodshed was taking place here, and it's also referred to in verse number 9, and thee are men that carry tails to shed blood. So they didn't value life. Life had no value in those days. It was, hey, if if somebody's standing in your way and you need to kill them, you do it. What else was part of their sin? Idolatry. 
In verse number three again, uh, that her time may come and maketh idols against herself to defile herself. And uh, also it talks about in verse four idols, that, that defile thyself and thine idols. Uh, one commentator believes that this bloodshed and idolatry are connected, that they would uh, shed blood to appease a false god. Does that happen in America today? Unfortunately and sadly, yes. Many times the overwhelming majority of abortions are done at the altar of the God of convenience. It's not because mom's life is in danger, the baby's life is in danger, or any of those reasons. Most of the time it's because, "Ah, I just don't really feel like having a baby. I, I can't afford it right now. And so let's just please remove it. And we do this at the God of idolatry, at the God of convenience. Do we have idolatry here in our country? Yes, we do. The God of sports. A lot of people worship sports. I'm not saying you do, but I know that I've been guilty at times of making sports an idol where it becomes the big priority in my life and it consumes my thoughts and it consumes my energy and it consumes my desires. And I spend money on it and I spend time on it and I spend energy on it. And I'm not saying it can't have its rightful place and and, and it can be enjoyed to some degree, but but look, many times sports has become an an idol in American culture where we say, you know what, church is not more important than sports. My, my family, well, they scheduled a game on Wednesday night. I'm sorry, I'd love to be in church, but I apologize. We, we've got this tournament, and we've got... Look, I understand those things come up, and I'm not trying to be a meanie. I'm trying to call it what it is. I'm trying to have... A hard forehead. Forehead. I have a big forehead to begin with. Now I just need to. Ha- and I have a red, big forehead. I'm just trying to get the hard forehead, like Ezekiel had. That he said, you know, I, I'm just going to say it like it is, and not worry ha- about offending people. I don't want to purposely offend just for the purpose of offending, but I, I also don't want to hold back anything that God wants me to say. And Ezekiel went to this nation and said, look, you're guilty of bloodshed. You're guilty of idolatry. You're also guilty of murder in verse number six. Of the princes of Israel, everyone were in thee to their power to shed blood. They used their, their power to shed blood to increase their position, to increase their power, to increase their possessions. What else were they guilty of? They were guilty of being rebellious towards parents in verse number seven. In thee have they set light by father and mother. They, no longer was obedience a thing in homes. It was the cool thing is to be rebellious. And parents just were like, oh, they're just going through a stage. No, God calls that sin and God does not tolerate that. God expects young people to be obedient and to honor and to obey their parents still in 2020. There is a tremendous lack of respect towards parents in our culture today. And you young people, I want to encourage you to have a heart of respect and love for your parents, for the things that they do for you. And as they begin to tell you hard things, don't blow them off as this old geezer who has no idea what it's like to be a teenager. We actually do remember. Barely. But we do remember. And God's given your parents to you as a special gift, and he's given the exact parents to you on purpose with the experience that they've had, the, the, the wisdom that God's given them to help you through this stage of life. Don't rebel against them. God takes rebellion very seriously when it comes to parents and this nation of Israel. This was going on in their culture and God did not tolerate it. And so he indicted them on that charge. What else? Verse 7, oppression towards orphans and widows and strangers. 
There was a lack of care for the needy. They didn't care about them and didn't provide for them and didn't help them. And God calls that sin, verse 7, In the midst of thee have they dealt by oppression with the stranger. In thee have they vexed the fatherless and the widow. How sad. These are people who need help. These are people who have been taken advantage of, though. And God calls it sin. Well, what else? Verse number 8. A desecration of the temple and the holy things and a breakage of the Sabbath day. Verse number 8. Thou hast despised mine holy things and hast profaned my Sabbaths. No longer was the Sabbath important. No longer was that a day of worship. No longer was that a day of rest. And now it was a day to maybe make more money or to play and to enjoy the toys that we have. To enjoy the pleasures of this life. No longer was the Lord important during, those, during that special day. Of course, I am preaching to the choir to some degree on that this morning, and I commend you for being in God's house. But I want to encourage us to keep the day of worship important and a priority in our lives. Well, they didn't do that in those days. There were things more important to them. As a result, they also desecrated the temple. The things that God called holy, they totally profaned them and despised him. What else? Verse number nine, we see there was slander for the purpose of shedding blood. If you didn't like somebody and you wanted them out of this life, you would just say whatever it took to get them gone. Verse number nine says, and and thee are men that carry tales to shed blood. It didn't matter if it was true or not. As long as it led to their death, that's all that mattered because I don't want them here anymore. That's what was happening in those days. What else in verse number nine? There was lewdness. It says, In thee they eat upon the mountains. In the midst of thee they commit lewdness. What's lewdness? Of course, we've hear, we hear that word uh, once in a while, but what does that word mean? It means an especially bad plan. It means a heinous crime. And they were doing these. They were guilty of it. What else were they guilty of? They were guilty of immorality, of adultery, of incest in verses 10 and 11. In thee have they discovered their father's nakedness. In thee have they humbled her that was set apart for pollution. And one hath committed abomination with his neighbor's wife. And another hath lewdly defiled his daughter-in-law. And another in thee hath humbled his sister, his father's daughter. So the moral compass was completely out of whack in that day and age and in that country. And immorality was rampant. I know I've kind of harped on it a little bit here and there. I want to keep harping on it because of one of the things I'm going to mention here in a moment. But according to Covenant Eyes, which is an internet filter and accountability service that prevents you from uh, viewing pornography on your computer and mobile devices, this is what Covenant Eyes, they gave some statistics about the use of pornography. One statistic said just 55% of all adults, 25 and older, believe porn is wrong. So that would indicate that 45%, almost half of our population, thinks it's just okay. Teens and young adults aged 13 to 24 believe that not recycling is worse than viewing pornography. Now, I lived in California, and if you didn't recycle, you were a bad person, you. Here, it's hard to find a recycling center. <laughs> and in Montana, we were like, when we first moved up to Montana, we're like, okay, where's the recycle bins, and where do we take all the recycle? They're like, what's recycling? They didn't say that, but it, it, it was practically how they looked at us. Like, we don't recycle here, like, because we were used to putting our are, you know, soda cans in a special place and making sure that those got recycled in California. And we were just in the habit of that. We get to Montana, they're like, what are you doing? What? What? Just put it in the trash. Okay. But see here, teens and young adults in America believe that recycling is, not recycling is worse than viewing pornography. One out of three Americans seek out pornography at least once a month. So 100 million Americans plus seek out pornography at least once a month. 
Are we guilty of immorality? I'd say, yes, we are. But then this one is such a sad statistic to me. And here it is. 64% of Christian men, 15% of Christian women say that they watch porn at least once a month. 64%, almost two-thirds of Christian men seek porn at least once a month. I hope that statistic is not true in our church. Are we guilty as a nation of immorality? Unfortunately and sadly, the answer is yes. What else was this nation guilty of that Ezekiel had to point out to them? Well, they were guilty of bribery, usury, and extortion in verse number 12. In thee have they taken gifts to shed blood. Thou hast taken usury and increase. Thou hast greedily gained of thy neighbors by extortion. And so they were involved in all of these horrible crimes as well. But then probably the one that hurt the Lord the worst was at the end of verse 12 when he said, And hast forgotten me, saith the Lord God. The Lord was the one that founded that nation. The Lord was supposed to be the king of that nation, but they wanted to be like other king or other nations and, and to have a, a human king with a real throne. But all this time goes by and this nation has completely forgotten the Lord. Have we as a nation in America, forgotten the Lord? I know maybe you might be sitting there thinking, oh, I'm, I haven't forgotten the Lord. I'm glad. I hope we haven't. But as a nation, I think we have forgotten the Lord. Amen. Uh, we were founded on this book right here. And we were founded for the purpose of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world so that we had the freedom to do so. That's why we were founded. But we have forgotten that, and we have rewritten our history books to take God out of our country altogether. I went to public school back in the 90s, early 90s. I know, I'm ancient. You teenagers think, 90s? Wow, that was the last century. Yes, I know. But I, there wasn't a lot of God in those public school history books. There wasn't a lot of the fact that we were founded upon the word of God and that we were founded for the purpose of propagating the gospel. That wasn't in these history books. We've rewritten them. And we as a nation have forgotten God. We've kicked God out of the schools altogether. We don't want prayer in the school. We don't want the Ten Commandments in the school. We don't want kids thinking about God. We want them to come to those conclusions on their own. Well, what has that led us to? Well, just turn on the news and you'll see, because that's what it's led to. So quite a catalog of sin. And the Lord has had it up to here with the disobedient and the rebellious people of Israel. He's, he's done with it. Well, who were, we, so we see the catalog of sin, but secondly here, who are the culprits of sin? Who are the ones committing these sins? Well, if we jump down to verses uh, 25 and on, we, we'll, we'll learn who these uh, guilty parties were. First of all, it was sadly the ministers. It was the ministers who were guilty of committing some of these sins. Verse 25, there's a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof. Like a roaring lion ravening the prey, they have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made, of her, made her many widows in the midst thereof. And then in verse number 26, we continue to see here the priests were involved with it as well. Not only the prophets, but the priests. The priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane, neither have they showed difference between the clean and unclean. They have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Verse 28, her prophets, again, more ministers, have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, The Lord God, uh, thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. You know, we, and we see this today in our age too. 
We see, unfortunately and sadly, ministers of the gospel who are committing great sin. As it talked about in verse 25, these uh, prophets, instead of being faithful to their call to be a prophet, they were more concerned with making a prophet. They were more concerned with padding their wallets and, and their bank accounts than they were about being faithful to the word of God. And they didn't mind hurting others to do it in the process. Now, we've all heard of the preachers, some preachers and pastors in our culture today who are known for living very lavish lifestyles. I read about one, one pastor who wore shoes that cost $5,000. I'm all for having nice clothing and dressing nice and all of that, but to me that's excessive. Uh, having, a, having a jet to take you from point A to point B that costs $17.5 million of God's money? Now, I'm not trying to be, well, I am trying to be a little critical, because that's wrong. To, take the, to use the Lord's money for your own selfish interests like that? That's a misuse of God's funds. Imagine how many missionaries could have been supported with all of that. Imagine how many gospel tracts you could print with that. Imagine what kind of buildings you could build for the purpose of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Imagine. But no, they've got to wear their $5,000 shoes because they're hip and cool. And they want to be happening with the younger generation. I don't know that the younger generation is really all that impressed with that. Well, The priests, they failed to put a difference between the holy and the profane. And, and we see this today in the rock concert type churches that look and sound just like a worldly rock concert. They have, the, the, the room itself looks like a rock concert. And this is supposed to be a preaching station. This is supposed to be a, a place where the gospel is being preached and it looks just like a worldly rock concert. And it sounds just like a worldly rock concert. They have the lights, they have the dark room, they have the pulsating music. But we just change the lyrics to include Jesus' name because after all, we are believers. Uh, no, we're actually doing what verse 26 says. We're putting no difference between the holy and the profane. So it was the ministers who were the culprits. Who else was the culprits? Uh, the magistrates in verse 27. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. It was the governmental officials, it were the princes, it was the magistrates. And they used their power to increase gain in their position. And if it cost people their lives, so be it. It was the magistrates, but it was also the masses. In verse 29, the people of the land. So it wasn't just the people who had great authority, it was also just the people of the land, the masses of people. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. So they kind of took the lead from those who had authority who were oppressing others, the priests and the prophets and the princes. And they were like, maybe that's how we should act too. And so those who owned businesses would mistreat their employees and abuse them. Moms and dads would see that and say, maybe that's how we should raise our children and abuse them under some type of uh, wrongful oppression. So that was happening in the homes. It was happening in communities. The poor and needy were being taken advantage of and being oppressed. See, look, it was the masses, it was the magistrates, and it was the ministers. Look, all the classes of society were guilty before God. And as a result of all the sin, God told Ezekiel to declare the judgment of the Lord. Look with me in verse 15. Here's part of the judgment of God. He said, I will scatter thee among the heathen and disperse thee in the countries and will consume thy filthiness out of thee. So he's going to spread them around. Verse 21 Yea, I will gather you and blow upon you in the fire of my wrath, and ye shall be melted in the midst thereof. Verse 23. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor rained upon in the day of indignation. I talk about uh, shutting down the economy. Well, when the Lord re refrained from bringing rain upon a land, it really shut down the economy. 
It really uh, messed things up. The stock market went and tumbled when there was no rain. And the Lord said, because of your sin, I'm going to withhold this rain. So God was going to judge this land. But I want us to see, secondly, not only the sin of the land, but I want us to see, secondly, the searching of the Lord. And this leads us to the text verse this morning. I know this isn't a very touchy-feely, warm and fuzzy type of a message today. But is chapter 20, yes or no, is chapter 22 of Ezekiel in the Bible? Yes, it is. Okay. And if we fail to learn history, we're doomed to what? Repeat it. And, and can you see some parallels with Israel to our current modern-day America today? We're there. I would much rather bring a message about how wonderful everybody is. I'm sure I'd get a lot more compliments after church. Thank you for telling me how wonderful I am, Pastor. That's an easy job to do. But I'm doing what Ezekiel did for the first time. I'm trying to be a modern-day Ezekiel. And just going through it. But the searching of the Lord, verse 30. Here God says, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. As he searches, I want us to see two aspects of his searching here. First of all, let's look at the target. Who exactly was God looking for? God must have been looking for a whole bunch of people that would be willing to stand up for him. Is that who he was looking for in verse 30? No. I sought for a man. Just one. Just one man. And I believe that today God is still looking for just one one man or one woman or one teenager who would be faithful to him and to stand in the gap before him in the land. Notice it was a man among them. I sought for a man among them. So evidently there was a man uh, in the midst of that nation who could have done this. There were plenty of men who uh, potentially could have fit because they were among them. I believe this morning that Cornerstone Baptist Church, God is looking for one among us. We're the answer. Not outside of these walls. It's not God is looking for a man somewhere out there. No, God is looking right in this room. God is looking for a man, a teenager, a woman who would be willing to be faithful. Look, God does not need many. Remember what Jonathan said to his armor bearer in 1 Samuel chapter 14? He said, there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. He doesn't need a majority. Because look, God is the majority. For those who were at the uh, men and boys camp out, I spoke on Friday night very briefly on, the, uh, on Gideon and his 300 men that were able to defeat an army of 135,000 men. 301 versus 135,000. Not very good odds, unless you have the holy God of Israel on your side. And then very much, very soon, you become the majority. Several times in the scripture, we find only one person who made a tremendous difference for the Lord's sake. I think about Moses, and I'll mention him a little later in more detail in the message in just a moment or two. I think about Noah, and how even in our Sunday school class, we, we were just learning about him and, and how he made a tremendous difference for his family. He was willing to be one. He wasn't a majority, but God used him to save his whole family. I think about David who made a difference when he was willing to step up to the plate and face Goliath with just a sling, a handful of some, a handful of some rocks, and most of all, faith in his God to deliver him. Elijah made a difference. He was just one when he was involved in some pyrotechnics there on Mount Carmel. Remember when he called down fire from heaven? He was just one, but he made a difference. Nehemiah was one who saw a need to rebuild the wall of his hometown and took the lead and saw that project to completion in a record time. Esther was one lady who was willing to be the one who would risk her life to save her people, and she did. 
Isaiah was willing to be that one when he was given the privilege of seeing the Lord high and lifted up in the throne room. And and after being cleansed from his sin, he heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. He said, I will be that one. As you're looking for one that you can send, as you're looking for one who will be faithful, I will be that one. As the Lord looks down upon us, I believe this morning he is looking for one among us. And the question happens to also be the title of my message this morning is, will he find one? He only needs one. He's not looking for the whole church. I I hope all of our church responds as well, but he's just looking for one. So that's the target, but what's the task? What's this person supposed to do in verse 30? He said, I sought for a man among them that they should Make up that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. What was he asking this one to do? What was the task at hand? Well, because of the sins of the land, God's judgment was imminent and rightfully so. And due to his infinite mercy, he wanted to spare his judgment for the sake of one man who would do this make up the hedge and stand in the gap before him in the land. And what does make up the hedge mean? In the Bible, a hedge. It meant an enclosure, a wall, a fence, a, a type of protection, fortification. And due to the terrible sins of the land, there was a large breach in this hedge. And it was indeed a gaping hole in the spiritual hedge that prevented the judgment of God. And so who would make up that hedge? Who would make up the difference? Who would stand in that gap, stand in that hole? how can we practically do this in our day and age? How can we practically make up the hedge and stand in the gap? Well, first of all, we can do that through prayer. Notice I didn't say through protest. Protest, I'm thankful for the freedom to do that here in our country. And in some ways, it may accomplish some good things and, and has in the past and may accomplish some good things in the future. But as God's people, more important than protesting is prayer. That's what we need to be doing. Instead of taking the energy to go do that, let's get on our knees and beseech the throne of grace to help our country during this time. Moses did this. Moses was one who uh, interceded for his people. Psalm 106, verse 23 records this. Therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Look, God has every right to be angry with America. We deserve to be destroyed. We deserve to be consumed like Sodom and Gomorrah of old. We deserve it. But God's looking for one who'd be willing to stand in the gap and say, Lord, I'm going to be the one to pray for our country. Please withhold your hand of judgment. Yes, we deserve it, but please continue to show mercy upon us. We can stand in the gap through prayer. um, The the church that Charles Spurgeon uh, used to pastor in London, England, is an example of a praying church. Thousands were saved with changed lives as true evidence. The preaching was powerful. The church was very aggressive in evangelism. They were involved in street preaching, aggressive tract distribution, 27 Sunday schools, rag schools, ministering to over 8,000 children with 612 teachers. But Spurgeon attributed the life-changing power largely to not more programs, not bigger staff, not more money, but he attributed it to prayer. Spurgeon regarded the prayer meeting as the most important meeting of the week. He often said that it was not surprising if churches did not prosper when they regarded the prayer meeting as of so little value that one evening in the week was made to suffice for a feeble combination of service and prayer meeting. That's convicting for me. Most important meeting of the week, and yet... Wednesday nights, I know that after work, it's not like we all feel like coming to church. And yet, if we want to see our church go forward and accomplish something for the Lord, we're going to need to make prayer a priority. 
And so I want to announce this morning as our church, we have postponed the before Sunday school men's prayer meeting due to COVID-19, but starting next Sunday, we're going to put that back on the schedule at 9.15 in the conference room, if you men would like to join me. And if it's just me, myself, and I, and the Lord, we're going to have prayer time. But I want to encourage you, and I think if our church is going to go forward, it's going to be, we're going to have to go forward on our knees. Not because we're talented, not because we have a great personality, not because we're so friendly. No, if we're going to go forward for Christ, we're going to need to do it on our knees. How do we stand in the gap? Well, we do it through prayer, but we also do it through preaching the gospel. You say, well, cool, I'm off the hook on that one. Because, Pastor, you see, you're paid to do that, so I'll just sit in my seat and watch you and hope you do a good job. Go reach the world, Pastor! Well, listen, I do need to preach the gospel, but not because I'm paid to do that. Because I'm a Christian and I need to be obedient to the Lord when he told us to preach the gospel to every creature, to every creature, to teach all nations. It's my responsibility as a believer. And if you're a believer, guess what? It's your responsibility too. It's not just a one-man show. I need to be doing it, not because I'm a pastor, not because I'm paid to do it. No, but because I'm a Christian. And because I'm a Christian and you're a Christian, we all need to be doing it. I can't reach your coworkers for Christ like you can. I can't reach your neighbors for Christ like you can. I can't, I can't reach the, the, the kids at school like you can. I can't reach your extended family members like you can. So it's your responsibility just as much as it is mine if you're a believer to preach the gospel. That's the target, and that's the task at hand. But I want us to see thirdly as we close this message today, and this is not a pleasant point to point out, but point number three is the, sorted, the shortage of the loyal. Verse number 30. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Not one single person was found. Not one man was willing to be the one. Not one teenager was willing to stand up like David did way back when and say, is there not a cause? I'll go face this giant. Y'all can sit here and watch and, uh, and worry and fret. I'll go do it. There was not a one like that. Why? Well, I see, first of all, they were passive. They were probably thinking that someone else would do it. Because after all, I'm kind of busy. I kind of have a full schedule. I'd love to and all, but I've got, to, I've got my sin to enjoy. See, they were too busy enjoying the pleasures of sin for the season, not realizing that judgment was coming right around the corner. In their mind, everything was hunky-dory. We're living it up. We're partying. We're enjoying the pleasures of sin. But you know that season was about to change. And so they didn't have time to volunteer for the Lord's sake. They didn't have time to pray for the land. They didn't have time to preach the gospel. No, they didn't have time to be faithful to the things of God. Why? Because you see, they had a full schedule of everything else. They were busy bossing people around and using them for their personal gain. They were busy living it up and having a fun in their iniquity and rebellion. They were passive. As God looks down upon our nation right now, I hope that we're kind of woken up enough to say, I better answer the call here or our country may be going down the tubes. I better knock off what I've been doing here and stop playing around with sin, stop being passive, start getting serious about volunteering for the Lord. And as a result, for the saddest words in the whole Bible are recorded at the end of verse 30, I, but I found none. Why? Because all were preoccupied with their sin and their wickedness. They were too busy with their own personal lives to care about God. I hope that's none of us, but if it is, it's time to repent. 
It's time to get right with God today. God's judgment may be right around the corner for America. As you read through the book of Revelation, it's interesting as God mentions and and look at prophecy in Ezekiel and Daniel and Revelation, you see all nations mentioned, well, America isn't really mentioned. So evidently at some point, America is going to fall away. But I hope and pray that it's not on our watch. I hope and pray that uh, we're around a little longer. And we better not be part of the problem by being too passive. Well, as a result of their passiveness, they were next, they were punished. In verse 31, therefore, because I found no one, because everyone was passive, because no one cared about the things of God, Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Look, friend, in 2020 here in American Christianity, we get this false precept of God that he's tolerant of sin so long as it's not as bad as someone else's sin. I'm okay. God must be happy with me because I'm better than them. I'm okay because my sin isn't the degree as their sin is. So God's going to give me a pass. It's kind of like, you know, when you're driving on the street, as long as you're not the fastest driver, you're okay. Because the cop's going to pull over the fastest driver. Actually, many times they do the second fastest because they can't catch the fastest. (laughs) The point is, Let's stop comparing ourselves among ourselves and start comparing ourselves with God. The nation of Israel forgot to do that. And as a result, they fell into some pretty serious and heinous crimes against God. Look, God still judges sin. Malachi 3 and verse 6 says, I am the Lord and I change not. He doesn't change. He still judges sin. He still judges nations. And remember the words of Christ, especially as we think about our country today. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. There have been few nations in the history of the world that have been blessed like America. God has been very good to us, primarily because of how we were founded, because of the prayer that took place to found this nation. Well, now we've forgotten the Lord. And now we think, ah, we're just going to keep living it up. Well, we find ourselves in chapter 22. And today, God is looking for one, for a man, that would make up the hedge and stand stand in the gap before the Lord in the land, that he should not destroy it. There's no question that we're also very guilty of committing great sin as our land and in very deserving of God's hand of judgment. But I believe that he is searching for a man, a woman, a teenager among us who would make up the hedge and stand in the gap. But the question is this, will he find one, just one? Will he find one who will stand in the gap in your home? Who will it be? Dads, he's looking for a man among you that would stand in the gap for your home. Will you be that one? Will he find one who will stand in the gap in our church? Will he find one? Who will it be? It needs to be someone among us. We can't expect some outside person to come in and and, and be that one. It needs to be someone among us. How about in our youth group? Who will be the one who will be serious for the Lord Jesus Christ and won't care about the things of this world and desire to make a difference for God? Who will be the one in our youth group? Will it be you? How about you? It's going to have to be somebody among us. Not somebody else. It needs to be someone among us. Will he find just one in our youth group? Not looking for the whole youth group at this point. He's just looking for one. What about your workplace? Who will stand in the gap there? Who will be his representative there? He needs just one. Will you be that one? How about in your neighborhood? 
What about in our community? Will he find one who is willing to be a bright and shining light with the manner of our life and the message of the lips? Will he find just one? That's all he's looking for is one. Will you be that one? Who in your seat will be the one? I hope that you will say, like Isaiah said of old, here am I, send me. I'll be the one. I'll volunteer. I'll decide to be faithful to the Lord. I'll be a bright and shining light. I'll be on my knees in prayer for our country and for our church and for revival to take place. I'll be willing to preach the gospel to every creature. I'll stop being ashamed of Christ and start being bold for the Lord's sake. Who will be that one? As I was preparing this message, I had to tell the Lord, Lord, I'll be that one. I'm not much. I remember when the Lord called me to ministry and I was thinking about it last night and I was thinking about there at El Dorado Park and I was reading through when God called Moses to serve him and to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And I remember reading that and the Lord speaking to my heart and saying, Eric, that's you. I want you to serve me. And I remember thinking through that and remember if, if you remember that passage when Moses began to give excuses like, I can't talk well. Like, I, I don't really know how I'm going to do this. I mean, what if this and, and what about that? I began to give those same excuses to the Lord. He said, don't worry, Eric, I'll take care of you. I'll do it through you. You may not be much, but little is much when God is in it. Will you be that one who says, Lord, I'm not much, but if you'll use me, I'm willing. I hope that there are many ones in this church that'd be willing to be the one as God looks down upon this land and says, I'm seeking for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. And I hope that as the Lord does that, the words would not be, but I found none, but that he says, and I found lots. I found many in that church there in Moore, Oklahoma, that would be willing to be the one. Will you be the one? Will he find one in you? I hope the answer is yes. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to look at this passage of Scripture. And God,